I'd like to, uh, Michelle, I just want to make sure there's audio on this for me this morning, my laptop. I'd like to uh, play a video this morning. Uh, this is a, a video from quite some time ago when uh, Billy Graham was on 100 Huntley Street. And uh, so this is an old video. You can see, you can tell by how old uh, David Maines is uh, also when he's doing the, the interview. But I wanted you to hear what Billy Graham had to say uh, uh, over Canada when he was on 100 Huntley Street. Uh, I think it was back in the 70s. But anyway, here we go. You said something that just thrilled me to my toes. Well, you know, Canada uh, stands uh, for peace in the world. And uh, Canada has not taken uh, sides in many of the world disputes, uh, such as Vietnam and so forth, uh, in, in the past. And you have a spiritual heritage here, both in Quebec and in Ontario and in Western Canada. And uh, you have the spiritual groundwork is already here. And there's an afterglow that I think you feel. Now, people are not attending church today in Canada as they once were. Uh, Toronto was once called when I first came here, Toronto the good, because so many people went to church. So many people believed in God. So many people believed in Christ. But I believe that Canada stands in a very unique position if Canada should have a spiritual awakening and a spiritual revival, I think it could uh, lead the world. I think the whole world would look to Canada. And I think Canada could become the world leader in the spiritual dimension. say amen to that. Praise the Lord. You know, I think that um, Billy Graham is definitely one of those people that, as the scripture says, though dead still speaks. Though he's gone to his reward, he's still going to be speaking to us over and over and over again. His words resonating in our heart, his challenge coming to our, our spirit, uh, addressing things in our, in our lives and in, in our culture, uh, speaking with a timeless voice. And so, uh, I just, I, I got that video and I thought I wanted to play that this morning. And uh, to think that 1978, Billy Graham had those words for our nation, uh, excited my spirit. And I said, Lord, could it be now? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I've had this message in my heart for quite some time. And uh, I, I think maybe subconsciously I decided to preach it this morning because I thought there'd be nobody here. Uh, <laughs> and you thought, well, only the, only the regulars will be here this morning, and only the, the choir. So, but, you know, in all seriousness, it's, it's one of those messages that, that is so easy in our culture to misconstrue, and yet I think is so important if we're going to get our relationship with God right. And uh, so um, that's my caveat this morning. And I believe that um, the application of this message this morning, everybody say Application. The application of this message this morning is going to help advance uh, the kingdom through this house, uh, probably greater than anything else that I've preached since last September. Certainly since uh, the New Year, as I've talked about, you know, taking our church to the next level. So, Father, I just pray this morning that you would uh, help us as we look to your scripture.
Father, that you would uh, guide us and that, Lord, you would direct us through the word. And that, Father, you would, uh, that, Lord, you would just help me, give me uh, uh, the grace and the anointing to be able to communicate uh, clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to talk about taking uh, the church to the next level by understanding where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Everybody say amen. Before we get started, let's start with a little bit of humor, all right? Two Irishmen who were traveling in the Holy Land came to the Sea of Galilee, and they discovered it would cost them $50 each to cross the sea by boat. They cried out in protest. You know, the lakes of Kilkarni are the most beautiful lakes in the world, and one can cross them for a few shillings. The guide explained, oh, but this is the lake that Jesus walked on. The Irishman replied, small wonder at the prices you charge for taking a boat. Okay, all right, (laughs) on to the next one. (laughs) In English? I was speaking English. All right, Uh, here we go. Uh, In a church in the deep south, the preacher was moving uh, toward the end of his sermon, and with a growing crescendo, he said, this church, like the crippled man, has got to get up and walk, and the congregation said, that's right, Reverend, let it walk. And then he added, this church, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, has got to run, run, let it run, preacher, let it run, they said. This church has got to mount up in wings like eagles and fly. Let it fly, preacher. Let it fry, fly, they added. Then he said, well, now if this church is going to fly, it's going to take money. Let it walk, preacher. Preacher, let it walk. A <laughs> uh, uh, sign that was up in a, uh, held up by someone who was on strike for better pay at a factory, and it said, time heals all wounds. Time and a half heals them faster. <laughs> I thought that was great when I saw that time and a half heals them faster. That's fantastic. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Okay. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. We're going to read a couple passages of Scripture this morning. Uh, Verse 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, verses 27 to 34. It says, Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan runs after all such things, and your father knows that you, have, that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew, our verse precedes the famous passage, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you in chapter 6, verse 33. And Luke Um, Our passage is a summary verse coming after that passage in verse 31 and then concluding in verse 34. Both times, both times, the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, 
I record Jesus saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, in the context of talking about kingdom value. In Matthew, Jesus is first recorded telling the disciples not to lay up treasures where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he tells them, he goes on to say, you can't serve two masters, God and money. And then he tells them not to worry about what you'll eat or drink uh, and to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. In Luke, our verse is preceded with Jesus' parables of the rich fool, and you can look this up later, who built his bigger barns to hold greater wealth, uh, and then his life was required of him. The story ends with Jesus saying, foolish is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is followed by Jesus' famous words to his disciples, instructing them not to worry about what they shall eat or drink or wear, but rather seek the kingdom of God. And then he tells his audience to store up treasure in heaven where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And then he says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The context in Matthew and in Luke makes it real clear. We're not to store up treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves break in and steal. And I'll explain this to you in a little later because some of you are saying, so I'm not allowed to own anything. Well, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. We're not to be foolish like the rich man, building bigger barns to store your wealth for yourself and yet not being rich toward God. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all these things will be added unto us. And we're also uh, to acknowledge the truth that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. The point is, if we want the kingdom of God to advance on earth, then the solution is simple. We have to take a look at our treasure and we have to take a look at our heart. We have to take a look at our treasure, and we have to take a look at our heart. Someone say amen. It's already quiet in here. The jokes have worn off already. Help us, Lord. <laughs> What's your treasure? What is your treasure? Well, it is what you possess. It's what you have. What has, I should say, your heart. It is how a person spends his money. It tells a lot about his priorities in life. It reveals what he treasures. What's your treasure? What are the things that, that you place the most value upon? Now, some of you would say, well, my spouse or my children, amen. We place high premium and high value on them because they're dear to our heart. But, you know, they don't consume uh, all of our money, although kids and then grandkids do have a certain way of consuming a lot uh, of that money. Uh, but, you know, there's still, all of us still, let's, let's face it, we live in North America. We live in uh, the wealthiest, literally the wealthiest part of the world. So all you have to do is take a look around, and there are lots of other things that are, are vying for our, our finances, for our commitment, for our, our, our uh, attention. There are a lot of things that we have made our treasure. And, uh, uh, and we need to understand that our treasure is whatever is taking the priority of our money. And if my treasure isn't in the church, then we can't say that our heart is either. And uh, we have to understand that it's easy to say, oh yeah, I, you know, I believe in the church, I believe in the work we're doing and everything else, but you know, if we don't invest in it, then we don't have the ability to say that our heart is truly in it. Let me illustrate it. Um, consider a guy who says that he loves his wife, right? And, uh, and yet he never gives her money to do any of the things or uh, releases any finances in the house, doing the things that are important to her heart uh, or important to, to her to demonstrate any kind of love toward her. Yet somehow the same guy 
has got the, the, the fishing boat and the, and the pickup truck and plays hockey three nights a week and golfs on the weekend and all that kind of stuff and, uh, and yet doesn't have any investment in the things that are important to his wife's heart. What would you conclude? I think you would conclude he loves himself more than he loves his wife. Right? If everything's about me, 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 what I like, what I want to do, uh, where I want to go, the things that I want to, to, to have, the things that, that I enjoy, then you've got to conclude that your heart is more for yourself than it is for your spouse. How many men have told their wives, I love you, sweetheart, and then spent all their extra cash on themselves? And their wife is told that there isn't any money available to do what she wants to do. How does it make her feel when her husband does this to her time and time again? He can say, I love you all he wants, but she knows that he really loves himself. What he does with his money really tells the story. What he does with his money really tells the story. An old man with a cranky, miserable attitude. You've got to hear this, this uh, story this morning. He visited a rabbi who lived a very simple life. They weren't together very long before the rabbi got a wonderful idea, idea on how to illustrate to this cranky, stingy old man how wrong his attitude was. He took him by the hand and he led him over to the window and he said, now look out this window and tell me what you see. And the man stood there and he said, well, I see men and some women and I see some children. Fine, the rabbi said. Then he took him by the hand, he led him across the room and he put him in front of a mirror. He said, now look and tell me what you see. The man frowned. He said, well, obviously I see myself. Interesting, the rabbi replied. In the window there's glass. In the mirror there's glass. But the glass and mirror is covered with a a little bit of silver, and no sooner is the silver added than you cease to see others, you only see yourself. And I thought, what a powerful illustration. That as soon as, as the silver, as soon as the money gets in the way, all we see is ourself. I believe that God has blessed us and has uh, empowered us financially so that we could win the world to Christ. Someone say amen. He's empowered us financially so that we can extend the kingdom. He has invested in us so that we can invest in what he cares about. Not just so that we could have a good time, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That was actually, uh, you know, the line of a, a group of people that were around at Jesus' time who were nihilists, like many people in our culture today. They believed just everything ended at death. They were called Epicureans. And these people believed that everything ended at death, and so their motto was, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And that would probably sound pretty close to what our culture thinks for the most part today, right? But I believe that we have a mandate from the Lord to show them that there is a different way, right? But it's hard to do when they look at us and they think that we're living the same life they're living. They look at us and think that the most important things to us are that we eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Got to be something more going on beneath the surface in us that they see that tells them there is something bigger, there is something greater, there is something more valuable to us than the newest thing, whatever the thing is. Jesus' teaching is very clear. What a person does with their money reveals what is inside their heart. So now let's take that look at the church. 
Someone might say that they love the local church, like the man who said he loved his wife. But if we never give to the church, the principle, stated in Matthew 20, uh, 6.21, says that the heart, church, I should say, is not in their heart. No matter what he says, if his treasure isn't in the church, then his heart isn't in the church either. It's as simple as that. I may say, I love the Lord, but if I don't give, if I don't follow uh, with a generous heart, as the scripture talks about, if I, I've never embraced a tithing or any other principle in the word of God, uh, if I've never uh, it, it came forward to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm going to invest in you and in your work in the kingdom, then our, our words are, are pretty cheap. Either we're completely ignorant of the scripture and have never read them before, or our words are cheap. If you really love the Lord, if I really love the Lord, then my money would reflect that love for him. I'd be a giver. It's easy to say something. Anyone can say that they love the kingdom, they love the church, they love his bride. But when a person sacrifices and gives, that he's demonstrating his words are real, that his heart is really there. Boy, is it ever quiet in here. I don't think I've heard this quiet in here in about 10 years. <laughs> uh, you know, you got to know that pastors like it when people smile at them and they say, preach it, pastor, preach it. Uh, but when you, know, when you talk about money, people get a little squirmish. And, and, and you know why? Because money, whether we want to admit it or not, money is close to our heart. I know we may sit on it most of the time, but it's actually close to our heart. Right? And, uh, and we, we don't like it when someone's you know, talking about it. And then we say, well, yeah, the church is always talking about money. Actually, the church is rarely talking about money. I have the board saying to me all the time, Pastor, you just got to talk about finances more. You got you to let people know what the need is. And, and you know what? And I have an aversion to that because, uh, it, you know, and the Lord's had to work on me. Even Barry's prayed over me. He said, because, Pastor, he said, it's really not about us. It's about them. And I said, I understand that. But I understand also our, cult our culture is very antagonistic when someone talks about their money. And, uh, and we find that one or two preachers that we think that uh, preaches only about money so that they can get rich, and we throw the whole thing out uh, with it. Come on. Is what I'm saying true or not? And yet, we're walking around, and we're not practicing what is in line with what our, our mouth confesses. Thank you. <laughs> if a person never gives to the kingdom, it reveals that he either has no money or that he's a liar. Simple as that. Of course, if a person has no money, they're going to find it difficult to give. I get that. But if he does have money and he doesn't give, then his words and his actions, they don't match. And when he spends his extra money and all kinds of material junk and then drops a few coins in the offering, he's telling the true story. He loves his junk more than he loves the kingdom. It's as simple as that. Jesus made it very clear that where a person's treasure is, where their money is, that's where their heart will be also. So if you really want to know where a person's heart is, all you got to do is follow the money. Show me the money, right? Our money tells the truth. Our money tells the truth. Turn to the person beside you and say, your money tells the truth. It does. Your money tells the truth. So, what do you treasure this morning? What do you treasure this morning? Do you treasure the Lord? Do you treasure his kingdom? Do you treasure his bride, the church? Or do you treasure your house? And I'll admit, we have a nice house. 
Do you treasure your car? My car is decent. You know, it's, a, it's not a Lamborghini. Uh, you know, I'm not there yet. But uh, do you treasure your stuff? Do you treasure your stuff? You know, all you got to do, what do you treasure? All you got to do is ask your bank account. It'll provide the answer. It'll tell you the answer. Right? It'll tell you the answer. You just got to look. Take a look inside it. It is usually pretty honest. It tells the answer of what we really value. Take someone's bank statement and you just look at where all the finances go and you can tell what we really love. Now, let me say this. What are you saying, Pastor? You're saying we can't own a house? Or... No, of course not. I mean, God knows you've got to live somewhere. God knows that you have to eat. God knows that you have to drink coffee. I mean, God knows these things, right? <laughs> God understands these things about humanity. Isn't that right, Christy? Everybody's got to drink coffee. I mean, come on. Uh... <laughs> and, and, and understand this also, that the Lord created all these things, and he created them for what? For our pleasure, for our enjoyment. He, he created them for us. He created them to serve us. Here's the caveat. He didn't create them so we could serve them. Do you understand the difference? He created them to serve us. He, he created those things to be a blessing to us. Our Father loves it when we're blessed. In fact, the Bible says, if you being carnal, if you being a, a, a fleshly blood person knows how to give good gifts to your children, the Bible says, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to them that ask? I mean, he delights in doing good things for his kids. He does. So I'm not up here preaching some kind of a, if you're not poor and your shoes are worn out and your car's falling apart and your house has holes in the roof, then you don't really love Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. There is no problem with any of us owning things. There's only a problem when the things own us. And sometimes walking that line is very difficult. If you read the history of Israel... The father loved his children, and he constantly was blessing them. And when the blessing was poured out upon them, and they began to prosper, they began to forget God. Right? They stopped being able to walk that line of blessing. The line of blessing is a hard line to walk. Because it's so easy to forget that he has blessed me so that I can be a blessing. He has poured it out on us here in North America so that we can pour it out on the world. And it is an absolute travesty that in the United States, I don't, don't have the numbers on Canada, but I'm sure they're the same. It's an absolute travesty that America spends more money on pet food than they do on feeding the hungry. Are you hearing me this morning? They spend more money on pet food than giving to charity. And yet, per person, Americans give more to charity than Canadians. So I imagine the statistic would be even worse here. Americans give considerably more to charity than Canadians do. Part of that's because we live in a more socialist society, and so we're convinced that every need that the people have in our world is taken care of by the government. And so we tend to give less because the government's already gotten its hand into our pocket and <laughs> extracted uh, lots of money. So we abdicate ourselves from responsibility and say, oh, well, the government's going to take care of that. There are lots of things the government doesn't take care of. 
Are you hearing me this morning? Somebody say amen. I need just a few more. I'm a little self-conscious this morning. I need just a few more. So, <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Jesus. So, how do, we, how do we get it right? How do we, we get it right so that we are able to walk that line of, of walking with God's blessing and not letting His thing, blessing turn into things that own us rather than us owning them? How do we do it? I think I found the solution. I think I found the solution. The inverse of the verse is the solution. You're like, what did you mean? The inverse is the solution. The inverse. The scripture says where your heart is, right? Where your heart is, treasure is, I should say, there your heart will be also, right? So we've been talking about where's your, what's your treasure and, and all those things. And we've been looking at that this morning. And it's a simple statement, but this is a statement of observation, Right? So this is a statement where you can, you can look at your life, and, and it's an observation of your life. So you look at the things that are around you. You look at all the ways in which you've invested your treasure and all the stuff you've, you've padded your life with. And this is one of those observational statements. So you look at all that, and it tends to reveal the nature of the heart, right? It shows us what's going on in there. But I think if we inverse this verse... If we inverse this verse, it gives us a proactive way to approach it. So we invert it. It says, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And I think the answer to getting this straight is to be proactive about where we invest our heart. We have to think about what is Jesus telling us to do with our heart? What is the scripture telling us to do with our heart? What are we investing our heart in? And if we will take a look at our heart, then our heart can start telling us what to do with our treasure. Because where our heart is, then our treasure is going to follow. Does everybody follow what I'm saying this morning? So all we got to do is invert the verse, and I think the solution is here in the inversion. Jesus is saying that our treasure follows our heart, right? He said, for where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Well, let me illustrate that one. You know, when we got married, we had an old beater car. I mean, an old beater car. We, had, we got married uh, in uh, 1984, and we were driving an old 19, what was it, a 77 Plymouth Valari, I think. And uh, yeah, it was, it was one of those old slant six, rusting out. Uh, the, the driver's seat was broken, so I had a t- two by four that I wedged against the floor, and it went into the back of the seat so that when I hit the gas, I, didn't, I wasn't staring at the ceiling trying to drive. <laughs> You know, that's how it propped me up. And that was our car when we got married. Anybody own one of those wonderful old Plymouth Lari Slant 6s? I mean, the only good thing about them was that you couldn't kill the motor. You could beat the thing with a sledgehammer. You could do anything you wanted to that motor, and it was indestructible. You could roll probably a million kilometers onto it, and it wouldn't die. The whole car would fall apart around it. Every piece of metal would rot out. There would be nothing left, but the motor would still be there. It went from zero to 60 in 12 minutes. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, amazing. And uh, the reason I didn't need the two by four when I first got it is because it accelerated so slowly that I never went back. But the seat got weak enough and I got fat enough that, uh, you know, even that made me uh, go back and look at the ceiling. So we got this car before we got married and then we had this car. We go on our honeymoon and we go to the hotel the first night and, uh, you know, we come out the next morning 
And we come out of the hotel, and uh, we <laughs> we're about to go away on our honeymoon, and we walk out, and somebody has sideswiped our car. <laughs> I kid you not. Front fender caved right in on the driver's side. And we just looked at it and went, oh, well, got in the car and went. <laughs> Didn't dampen our mood at all. She was so busy just looking at me and saying, I can't believe this guy's my husband. I am so blessed. She didn't even notice the car. She was just completely enamored. And I was just like going, wow, what a great week we're going to have. And I was like, I am so blessed. Oh, come on now. And uh, so anyway, uh, we drove away. We didn't care. We didn't care. Fast forward a few years. And, uh, you know, in 2012, we got ourselves a, a one-year-old, well, it was 2013, I think, fall of 13, we got a, a, like an 18-month-old Ford Escape, right? And, uh, you know, it's a few years older now, but, and we're still driving it. But anyway, we just, we just got this thing, and we're in uh, Starbucks. See what coffee does to you? We're in Starbucks in Kingston, and uh, we're pulling out of the parking lot, and this girl just, I'm driving by in the parking lot, and she just backs out and backs right into the, to the front fender of my car, or the back fender of my car. How many know that I cared more about that time the car getting banged than I did when I walked out and my old battle trap got smucked, right? Why? Because where your treasure is, your heart follows it. My heart was more attached to the car that was only 18 months old than it was the old beater that was falling apart around my, 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 my life. Do you know what I'm saying? Your heart follows that treasure. So when you've got that thing, then you care about that thing. Am I making any sense to anybody? You know, when you, I remember, I remember, uh, you know, uh, we lived in a rental when we first moved here to Belleville, and it was pretty rough. And, uh, and it had more bats in the belfry than, than I thought even existed in North America. The place was, we killed about 16 bats in that house. Uh, you know, it was, it was nasty. How many would like that? How many would like that? Would you love to have bats? Oh, sorry, we, we disposed of 16 bats, humanely. Uh, but anyway, uh, anyway, these bats were in our, in, in our house. And so anyway, um, we told the landlord, and so he hired this crew to, uh, you know, clean uh, the bats and all the bat poop out of our attic. And so, I, you know, it's like 7 in the morning, and these guys are here, and I'm walking down the hall upstairs, and all of a sudden, his foot comes right through our ceiling, Right? <laughs> There it is, dangling down there like this, you know. And, uh, and we're standing there looking at it like that. Hey, how are you doing? He goes, oh, pretty good. You know, he's pulling his foot back out of the ceiling like this. And, uh, you know, how many know I didn't really care? Why? I didn't own it. I was just renting it. Right? Because where your treasure is, there your heart be. I didn't have any real treasure invested in this. It was annoying that I had a hole in my roof, but it wasn't my responsibility to fix it. Somebody else was going to do that. You begin to see what he's talking about, right? And so, you know, <laughs> how many know that if, and when I get my brand new Ford F-150 and somebody bangs in the parking lot, I might even be a little bit more upset. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The point is, the more treasure that we have, the more we've taken our finances and invested, and the more our heart is affected by it. The more stuff we have, the more expensive it is, the more property we own, the more our heart gets attached to it. The more our heart is tied to our treasure. So like I said, to sort of break this curse, we have to inverse it. We have to inverse the verse. 
So in the same way that your heart follows your treasure, understand your treasure can begin to follow your heart. Everybody hear this this morning. When you become proactive, when you establish your heart on things that truly matter, then your treasure will begin to follow it. If you train the affections of your heart, if your heart is for the Lord, then your heart will be for His kingdom. If your heart is for His kingdom, then it will also be for His bride, the church. And if your heart is truly for the church, then you can train your treasure to follow your heart. You understand what I'm saying? My wife and I, when I became a Christian, 17 years of age, and uh, uh, God saved me from a pretty solid weekend warrior dope culture life, and uh, where I was pretty good at sinning. I had it down to a pretty fine art form. And, uh, you know, and then the Lord got a hold of my life, and, and, and He saved me. And like I told you prob- probably before, the first Sunday that I went to a new believers class, it was on before church. They had like an adult Sunday school at the church that I was going to. So my girlfriend at the time, she says, well, you need to go to this class. And I said, well, aren't you coming to it? She goes, no, no, I, I got my own class. This is the new beginners class. And I'm thinking, oh, there's not, so you're telling me I'm just like a, a newbie. Yep, so you need to go in there. You know, so she sends me into that class. So I go in, and, uh, and I sit down in the class. And the very first Sunday uh, as a Christian, I went the week before and gave my heart to the Lord. But this is my very first Sunday to come as a, as a believer. And I sit down, and it just so happened the New Believers class, out of the 32 weeks of study that they do on different things, this was the Sunday that they were talking about tithing and giving. And so the very first Sunday I was uh, uh, walking as a Christian, uh, this is what I heard, and I began to tithe when I was 17 years of age. I have tithed my entire life. I've made the practice of putting God first, and I've had people say to me, but pastor, tithing's an Old Testament thing. You're right. It is an Old Testament principle. But it was never nullified in the New Testament. There's nowhere Jesus said, don't do it. He just said, if you're going to do it, then, you know, Make sure that your heart's right and everything else, too. But he never said, don't do it. Not once. Not once. And the other thing is, is that I tell people, it's a principle. It's a principle. So I happen to believe, and I'd have other scholars maybe disagree with me, but I believe that if you turn to Malachi, where it talks about the curses that follow you if you don't tithe, I believe Jesus took the curse. So if you're here this morning, and you've not been tithing, and God's speaking to your heart this morning, understand that, that I don't believe you're walking around uh, under an Old Testament curse. Because I believe that Jesus took the penalty of the Old Testament curse. Jesus uh, took the curse. Jesus became, uh, in essence, uh, the weight of the curse so that we could have life. And so, you know, the Bible says that he took the curse of law, sin, and death. So I, I happen to believe that. However, that doesn't mean that it nullifies all the blessings of obedience, right? How many know that, that the promise in the Scripture uh, that if you honor your parents... Then with long life, the Bible says he'll satisfy you. Uh, that he, There's a curse in that passage about if you disobey your parents, and I believe that's been taken by Jesus, thank God, because I disobeyed my parents a lot when I was a teenager. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I believe that the, that the uh, obedience side of that scripture still works. God still honors obedience. We believe it about everything else, but then when we start talking about the tithe, I have these Christians who come up to me and say, well, you know, pastor, that's an Old Testament thing. Okay, I agree, but I still believe God honors obedience. And I believe that the Bible says God will be a debtor to no man. And that if we practice it, God is going to bless our life. But I think there's an even deeper principle in the New Testament. It's the principle of generosity. 
the principle that takes us so that we, as I like to say to people, tie smythe. You know, <laughs> that, that, it, that it takes us beyond 10% and we end up being like, if you got it right in your heart, this is the kind of decision you can make. How many have ever read Purpose Driven Life? Anybody ever read that book by Rick Warren? The book is sold, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 million copies in English. I don't know how many copies in other languages. Um, Rick wrote the book as a Bible study book for his church. So he was completely unprepared for the fact that the book would just sell millions and millions of copies. But he wasn't unprepared for what to do with the finances when they started rolling in because he already had his heart fixed on Jesus so he could tell his treasure where to go. So when the money started coming in, the first thing he did is he paid back the church every dime they ever paid him in salary. The second thing that he did was he said to the church, I don't, you don't need to ever give me a salary again. The third thing he said was, he did was that he decided to reverse tithe. He gave 90% away and only kept 10. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? He said he gave 90% away and he only kept 10. And then he realized as it continued to sell that that, that, that 90% was so big that one person should never have the responsibility of deciding where that money goes. So he created a foundation and the money goes into the foundation and then he has a board who decides on where the money goes because it was too much responsibility for one person to decide where millions and millions and millions of dollars should go. Now that is what happens when your heart is right, you can tell your treasure where to go. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? The most important thing is you got to get your heart right. You have to get your heart right. The Lord had saved me. I was so grateful when I became a Christian. So grateful. My life had, well, it had sucked up to this point. And uh, I'd been a troubled young man. And when I, when, when I just found that Christ loved me and I gave my life to him, Everything changed. Everything changed. And I have such a grateful heart that my heart, my whole life, has told my treasure what to do. I've had moments where, just like everybody else does, where you've really wanted something and, and I've slipped into a bit of a selfish mood for a while. But I can honestly say that for my entire life as a Christian, uh, I, I was privileged to have heard this first and get it straight in my life first. And I, God, right from day one, got a hold of my heart, and I was able to, because he had a hold of my heart, I was able to tell my treasure where to go. Does that make any sense to anybody? And I think that's what God wants for us this morning. He wants us to break that curse of greed and selfishness in our life, and the way to do it is to inverse this verse. Instead of it being a verse that reports on where our heart is, it becomes a verse where your heart tells your treasure where to go. Your treasure can begin to follow your heart. When you become proactive, you can establish your heart on things that truly matter, and then your treasure is going to eventually follow it. If you train the affection of your heart, if your heart is for the Lord, then your heart will be for his kingdom. And if your heart's for his kingdom, then it'll be for his church. And if it's for his church, then it'll be for his bride. It'll be for his kingdom, and your, heart, your treasure will follow it. And that's why I say this. A budget is a theological document. Because it indicates who or what we worship. Did you ever think about that before? Look at your budget. Whether it's a proactive budget or it's just a financial statement that makes you sweat every time it comes in the mail. I, 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 I suggest you turn it into a proactive one. But if it is just the latter, they both do the same thing for you. They will indicate who or what you worship. They'll indicate where your priority is. 
It truly will. One of the things that I had people say to me is, do you tithe, pastor? Like, you tithe? Like, you get the money from the church. Isn't that kind of like giving it back to yourself? Seriously, people ask me these questions. My kids used to think that when we took up the offering, I just took it all home and, you know. It was just, you know, that we, we, we paid the, the heat and the hydro, kept the rest for ourselves, you know. If it were so, you know. Uh, but when I explain, no, no, we, the church has, approves a budget and we have an actual salary and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't matter if the church has twice as much money come in as they budgeted. My pay is the same. Doesn't make any difference. Hopefully, if it continued like that, they might actually consider giving us a raise. That would be good, wouldn't it? But, uh, you know, reality, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. So I'm not up here this morning because, uh, oh, my wife and I are starving and we need a new car or anything like that. That's not what this is about at all. This is about us getting our hearts right. Amen? Amen. And we need to talk about these things. You know, we talk about how we want the church to do this, we want the church to do that. The reality is it's going to take money. Let the church walk, pastor, let the church walk. No, we were meant to fly. We were meant to fly. And if everybody walked in obedience to the word, the church could soar. The church could soar. Our accountant in Lindsay uh, did a study on this once, and he took all the people, he included Catholics and everybody in the world that considered, called themselves Christian, right? It's like, I can't remember, it's like uh, something like 1.7 billion or 2 point some billion people on the earth. And he said, if every one of them tithed, he said the church would be the vehicle to wipe out world hunger. Completely. It would not exist. Gone. There would not be a poor person in the world, and the church would be the vehicle of bringing it around. 100%. He said, in fact, there'd be more than enough. More than enough. And he did, he had the whole algorithm. He had, he based it on, on average salaries in all the poorest countries of the world to the richest countries in the world, what the percentage of Christians were there. He did all that work, figured it all out, and said there would be more than enough for the church to wipe out world hunger. He said then they could wipe out world diseases. He said the church of Jesus Christ could tackle every problem that the world has. Every single one. If every believer tithed. I was like, see, God had a system. God had an economic system for the church to literally change the world. He had an economic system to do it. And all he needs is our heart. That's all he needs. If he gets our heart, he can accomplish his mission. Just saying. What does he need? He needs our heart. I want to conclude this morning from a story in John chapter 12. It's an amazing story that reveals exactly what I'm talking about this morning. Only six days before the Passover, Jesus arrives in Bethany where he raised Lazarus from the dead. You remember him? And Lazarus' brother, I mean, is the brother, I should say, of Mary and Martha. And uh, Martha is serving them. She's getting dinner ready. And Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, is sitting there with Jesus. Right? He had died and he's sitting there with Jesus at the dinner table. His sister is, is helping. And then Mary comes in, and she opens up, the Bible says, a pound of spikenard oil. And she begins to pour it on Jesus' feet and wipe it with her hair. Do you guys remember the story? And I did a little bit of digging into a, what spikenard is. And it's a, spikenard is an oil that is derived from a, a type of grass that grows in India. And what they do is they, they extract, extract all the oils out of the grass and turn it into a, 
what looks like a, a lard. And then that lard's brought through a process where they're able to turn it into an oil. And she came in with a pound of this stuff. And it's extremely expensive. The process to create it is very laborious and very intense. And it had to be imported from India, which how many know there wasn't trains or, or, or automobiles in that day and age? This thing would spend on camelback and all kinds of stuff, literally months getting to Palestine. And so she took a pound of this stuff. Uh, the Bible says it costs 300 denarii. That is about the equivalent of $40,000 today. And she took that out and she broke it open and she poured it on Jesus' feet. She began to wipe his feet with her hair. She began to wipe his feet with her hair. And of course, we all know Judas was furious about this. The money, the spike nard should have been sold and we could have used it to take care of, of you know, ministry things, Jesus and all the rest of it. Mary brought Jesus an entire pound of this stuff. Like I said, a year's wages. A gift that was normally reserved only for kings and royalty. And she brought it and poured it on Jesus' feet. You see, it's true that what a person does with his money tells a lot about his priorities in life. Mary's gift that day revealed that Jesus was her highest priority. Jesus was Mary's highest priority. What does your giving reveal about you? What a person does with their money tells us a lot about their priorities. Mary's gift that day revealed that Jesus was her highest priority. What does my giving reveal about me? What does my giving reveal about me? How much do I love my Jesus? And you say, well, yeah, but it's different. She was able to actually give it right to Jesus. Let me just give you some revelation this morning. Jesus said, when the disciples said to him, but Lord, when have I ever seen you naked and unclothed? When have I ever seen you hungry and, and needed to feed you? When have I ever? And he said, when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. We see Jesus every day. We see him in the eyes of people that need help. We see him in the, the face of the people that, that the church ministers to, whether it's in Belleville or around the world. We see it all the time. And we actually have, uh, you know, is it the perfect mechanism, the church of Jesus Christ? Nope. But it's his only plan. Jesus called the church his bride. He said, this is my bride. This is my beloved. This is my representation here on earth. And when we direct uh, our hearts toward his church, our treasure follows it. Mary directed her heart to Jesus, her treasure. I imagine 40000 was all the money the poor girl probably had. And she went and purchased this and anointed the Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that God wants to take this church to a new level. I've been talking about it for literally months. I believe that we've only scratched the surface of what God wants to do. Literally only scratched the surface. But you know what? I remember Jeff John saying a long time ago, he said the only thing holding back the church from accomplishing its mission is not, he's not even people, it's not even talent. He said it's not, it's not vision, it's not ideas, it's not opportunity. He said the only thing that holds it back is the finances to get it done. That's it. That's it. Plain and simple. 
And yet God had the solution for those finances. It's in our heart. It's right here. It's right here. Shall we just let me have that on? Um, I have a really practical thing for you to kind of do a self-heart examination. <clears throat> and it's tax time. So you've got, you've got your T4s, you've got your charitable receipts have come in. So I would challenge you as individuals, as couples, um, and don't use the excuse, well, she does the books, so I don't really look at that stuff. I'm going to challenge you to partner together on this. She does the books, this. and I don't really look at that stuff, but we do sit uh, down does, every year yeah. and do what he she's does. telling you right now. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> um, so this is a good um, heart examination. Look at your T4. Uh, look at what the government took out. Look at what you paid on different things. But tally up your charitable receipts. Um, and I'm not saying that so you walk around in guilt. I'm saying that so it's a, a, a sincere, honest evaluation. And for some of you, you're going to say, oh, my goodness. And there's going to be a lot of heaviness there. You know what? There's nothing like a fresh start. So you begin to walk it out right so that next year... Your T4s and your charitable receipts are going to tell a different story. I am grateful I was raised in a home where this is how my mom um, dealt with finances. 10% was tithed. 10% was, um, was into uh, retirement or savings. So she didn't view that she had, she viewed the 100% that they had to live off of and do everything else called life with was actually the 80% that was left. Follow my drift? So it was 10% tithes. She did 10% um, for future. And then the 80% is what they lived off of. Uh, so that's actually what we do. The other thing that we do, I'm just being practical with you, is, is I also have a file uh, on my computer, and we track all the extra stuff that we we give and do, not birthday gifts for our kids, not, not the gifts for our kids. I actually do that in a separate section. Yes, I track all that so that we're even with everybody. But, um, but we keep track then when we give somebody $100 here or 200 there or 50 here or 50 there and that because we want to be good stewards and we want to be found faithful. Yeah. And, uh, and we can't lead and take you where we're not willing to go ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that, so this is not um, this is not something we take lightly. We take it with huge responsibility. <clears throat> I remember for a lot of years we lived off of twenty nine thousand dollars. I think it was for seven consecutive years. That's what we made, raising three kids. I was a stay at home mom because the kids were really little, and we saw God do incredible things in our finances because we refused to not be faithful. We refused to not be faithful, that we would be found faithful and we would be faithful. And God expanded and stretched. And then I remember one year where Kevin got a substantial raise in one year. And I was so overwhelmed. We both were initially because I saw the responsibility of the stewardship that came with such great increase. Because I knew that this was going to be a great test of our hearts um, is would we be faithful with the increase and that and God constantly will test our hearts. Will we be faithful with increase? 
And we have a lot of beautiful things, and we've done nice trips, and we are blessed. We are blessed, but we also love being a blessing, and we mm. love being faithful. Amen. Amen. Just stay up here, dear. Would you stand with me this morning? We, um, one of the reasons we have set it up so that we get paid from the church, and then we ask all our staff to, to then you know, practice principle, biblical principles of tithing and giving back is because we, we don't want to take us that process out of the loop. You could just, we could just get the church to take the money right off our paycheck and send it or whatever. But we thought, no, 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 we need to put the responsibility on the individuals and then uh, we need to empower them to be able to practice biblical living. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? So that's why we do it that way. Uh, maybe it seems weird because you could say, well, you're giving back to your, to your own you know, eventually to your own paycheck. I suppose that's true, but, but we do it because we believe there's a principle there that we need to be able to lead in just as well as we encourage somebody to practice. And, and, and on that, let me just say, we, we talk about these things because we honestly believe that the best life you can live is the blessed life. Can somebody agree with me on that? The best life is a blessed life. I don't know how to be blessed without obedience. Um, I've met lots of people that are a lot wealthier than me and, and that don't practice, uh, you know, sewing. But I've not met many people that are wealthier than me and happier than me that don't practice this kind of sewing. You see, because money can buy you all kinds of stuff, but it really truly can't buy a happy heart. Right? Do you get me? And so if you truly want to walk uh, in, in a place where you enjoy both the blessing of God and the joy of the Lord, then you have to walk in obedience. And, um, you know, that's something that you have to work out. Uh, if you are struggling with some of the scripture I shared this morning, whatever, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But I really believe that uh, the best life is a blessed life. And that blessing is not just being able to measure how much money I brought in, but knowing that God is faithful to me because I love him and he loves me. Right? And that we walk in this partnership where we're going to change the world. I really believe God's empowered the church to change the world. He doesn't have a backup plan. We're it. So the church needs to get its heart right. It's got to get its heart right. Amen. Father, we just, uh, as mother and father of the house today, we just pray, Lord, your blessing over the congregation. Father, I believe that there are, there are probably some here this morning that, that Lord, that they look at their financial statement. They say, Lord, our heart has been out of whack, and we've got to get it right. We've got to get my heart in alignment so that I can tell my treasure where to go. And doing that's not easy in the beginning because most people in here are probably living right up to their paychecks. So when you realign priorities and you start saying, well, I want to give, I want to be able to sow, I want to invest, it means something usually has to go because I've been living in a way that uh, you know, my heart's been invested in other things and my treasure's been following that. So I'm going to have to do some realignment. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that you would help us, that this would not be a burdensome journey, it would be a joyful journey, that it would be one in which we, we can't wait and that our heart begins to dictate yeah. to our treasure and we're excited because, Father, our treasure is starting to follow our heart rather than our, our heart having to follow our treasure. Father, I just pray for breakthrough for people today. I pray, God, that they would experience the favor of God, the liberty of the Lord uh, as they uh, break through in this. And, Father, that the, the, the winner 
the winner in this is not just uh, them themselves, because we aren't just doing this for ourselves. We're doing it for the kingdom. The winner is the kingdom of God. Father, the winner is your bride, the church collective, as we begin to fulfill the mandate to change the world. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you for being here this morning. Amen. And uh, have a wonderful week on March break. And we'll see you next Sunday.